I, I like the idea of exploring just the everyday view of what is success and what is um, what is creativity, what is what is important, and how do you change the world? Because you know, people have these weird ideas. Welcome to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World, a podcast focused on reimagining how we define success. Co-hosted by myself, Monty Bernard, and the CEO of Expensify, David Barrett. So today on Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World, we have critically acclaimed children's author, activist, and all-around lovely person, Andrea Beattie. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. We are stoked to have you on. I'm a huge fan uh, of your work and diving right into it. Uh, Reading your work, reading Ada Twist, Scientist, Rosie Revere, Engineer, uh, Iggy Peck Architect, all amazing, inspiring tales for youngsters to really get their minds fired up for STEM, fired up for uh, aspects of society that we really need more great minds in. We want to know what aspects, what elements, what themes enrich your life day to day that inspire you to write these kinds of stories. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's funny because people think that I write books about STEM and I don't think I really do. It's true that <laughs> that Rosie is a book about engineering, ostensibly, uh, but it's really a book about <laughs> perseverance. Mm-hmm. And Eight is a book about curiosity. And even though that maps directly to science and Iggy is about passion. So I think what happens in my work is that I just kind of go and follow things that interest me. And that's always been my MO, which is sort of how I started off studying biology and then ended up now writing kids books. I don't even know. Weird, curvy path, as I think <laughs> many people take. But if you, you look and see interesting pathways to this side or that side and you go, I don't know what that is. Looks like a neat road. Let's go that way, uh, which is also how we vacation, which means that we literally never know where we're going to end up when we're driving on vacation. Like, what? Uh, how did we get here? It's an island and we're in a car. This is bad. Or is it good? We don't know. <laughs> so I, I think what happens is that I come up with something that I'm thinking about, something that I'm trying to mull over in my head and make sense of. And in doing that, then I, I kind of map that to the artwork from David's uh, illustrations, where mm-hmm. he, he created when we wrote Iggy Peck, this kind of goes deep back into history, but uh, I wrote Iggy Peck and David did the illustrations for that, just based on the text of the book. But in the process, he came back with this beautiful classroom of kids, this just stunning, diverse, beautiful classroom of kids. And each of the kids that he drew, he really created them as complete real characters in mm. his mind. Uh, some of them have backstories, some of them don't, but they, he kind of knows who they are, but he doesn't tell me any of that. So he keeps that to himself, but there are mm. little clues hidden in those illustrations. And um, as I'm looking at those kids in the picture and I'm trying to puzzle out like, you know, who, who are you and what's your story? I may see a little clue about something they have with them or something they do or a way they're looking at somebody else. And so at at the same time that that's going on, I'm riddling out whatever it is I'm trying to make sense of in my own life and the world and, you know, just being a person. And sometimes those pair up and sometimes they match. And so it really becomes me trying to figure out something about curiosity or passion or whatever. And then um, also trying to crack myself up with jokes or amuse myself because at the end of the day, it sounds terrible, but I really kind of write my books for me. 
and it has just been a miracle and wonderful that kids also kind of connect which tells you I'm about a second grader, you know, <laughs> that's the best place in the world to be. So yeah, so we, all, we all got it in there. We all got that in there. <laughs> it's pretty interesting how you're saying that, uh, uh, and I think you can see those in the books, every character in the book and all the, even all the back characters who are unexplained, yeah. they all are very distinct. Um, yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of diversity to all of uh, Blue River Creek and the streets and every picture. And I also like how uh, in some of the illustrations, there be hints uh, of the other books as well. Like if you look in the background yeah. of an image and, you know, Iggy Pax, you'll see the, uh, the Sphinx or, or like, you know, something like this from the other books and so forth. Or, and so I think um, that it's especially interesting to hear that there are mysteries to Blue River Creek that even you don't know, that even your, oh, yeah. only your illustrator does. Oh yeah. I mean, David sticks little Easter eggs in there that, you know, I've been reading Iggy for over a decade and I still find hidden things in there and I'll, I'll contact him and say, David, is this a whatever the thing he always <laughs> he's so sweet he's so charming he always says oh he's british too and he says oh i hope you don't mind and i'm like yeah stop, <laughs> stop being so crazy awesome david just cut it out the <laughs> I love the I love the, the the aspect of the shared Andrea Beattie universe of these characters <laughs> teaming up for hopefully in the future they'll be able to solve problems together you know with different facets of their of their own yeah. respective skills that would be cool well, that's kind of the thing that's, that's unfolding now as we do chapter books as well. So we started mm -hmm. with picture books and as these these characters sort of reveal themselves to me and, um, you know, through David's art and also as a, just the timing is right where I'm trying to riddle things out. So they're very slow to write because it's sort of like, this, you know, the perfect atmosphere has to happen. And um, but as as those as we create the picture books, then now we're also adding chapter books. And that's kind of what's happening is we get a chance to see meet more people in Blue River Creek. Uh, and what I'm finding is that all the adults are just sort of zany and weird and, um, <laughs> you know, have their own idiosyncrasies. I always say that word weirdly, uh, but they have, they're, they're all these funky people who are just like the little kids grown up. Yeah. So my, my favorite mm -hmm. is, um, aunt uh great aunt bernice hmm. who is i have a lot of old people in my books i like that intergenerational thing which i think well, she, so many now she's got the cool house have. so she's all set <laughs> she she is she does have the good cool house after the mysterious mansion uh with iggy but the um what i love about her she has she's all about digging things out of the ground so she has a, a, a shop where it's called the can you dig it shop and anything you can dig out of the ground is going to be in there so suddenly We've got this wide world of paleontology and history and archaeology and pretty much anything I want to explore. I'm going to find a way to stick in there, you know. Well, it. that's interesting. So how you say <clears throat> that you're writing the books to explore your own kind of curiosities. Um, when did you start working on uh, Sofia Valdez for Future Press? Um, so, so, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what was going on that made you think about, like, about elections and about teaching kids about elections and especially yeah. with like you know, the, the, the mysterious vote and the lost vote and things like this. And so, so like uh, what was going into your mind that's like, I want to prepare kids to understand this in the future. Yeah. Um, so Sophia is kind of the one exception where I did write a book more geared towards kids thinking of, with having them as the audience in mind, because usually it's just sort of what's amusing me, but also Sophia amused me too. Um, but after that election, we had this, odd election back in what was it <laughs> 2000 years ago it seems i blacked uh, out of my memory i don't know it's all blur uh, yeah 2016 uh that was a big deal as you all well know um but the thing that happened after the election 
is that I started hearing so many stories from teachers and I know a lot of educators and, and I have a lot of friends with kids, but uh, I started hearing so many stories of kids who were really scared. They were either scared that mm. their, their parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles were going to be deported, or maybe they were kids of color. And all of a sudden these friends that they'd had their whole lives were kind of calling them names. And there was this sudden, um, just real fear from kids and anxiety about what's going on because kids, kids know when big things are going on. Yeah. We try to protect them from it. We try to shield them from it as we should as, as gatekeepers of their worlds. But they know when, when seismic shifts are going on and they need to know that they can be okay. And that also that they can have a role to play, have some agency in, figuring out what's going on and making things better in the world. So the, the topic that came to me really was um, I wanted to look at fear, but also bravery. Like, what does it mean to be brave? And I think yeah. it, I have been really blessed that I've had great editors and uh, the editor who began the series, Susan Van Meter, who's now gone from Abrams books for young readers and they're fabulous, fabulous publishers. Um, but she was also the editor on Sofia Valdez. That was her last book we did together. And so I wrote the first draft of Sofia and in it, you know, Sofia goes out there, she's just this little tyke and she goes and rescues a dog from a tree or some, you know, boy, how does she does a super brave thing. And Susan so wisely said, well, what about other acts of bravery that are quiet? Because every day, like, that's the stuff that life is made of. It's those, those decisions, the small decisions that are magnificent and enormous. So the small acts of kindness. So she really sent me down the path of thinking, what does it mean to be brave? And so that's kind of the story of Sophia it comes out of this girl who mm. has to do something. She, you know, there's the backstory is there's a, a, a big landfill and her abuelo gets hurt one day. That's great. And she's like, yeah, it, it, he's like, we should get rid of that and get a, um, make a park. And so she's like, let's do a park. And everyone's like, yeah, it's a great idea. Let us know when it's done as people are <laughs> wont to do. Good idea, Sophia. You go get her. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but she's just a kid. How is she going to do this? But she decides, you know what? She's going to have to try. And that being brave means doing the thing that you must do. So your heart quakes with fear, though you're just in grade two, you know, so it's all in rhyme, by the way. Yeah. Um, but the which gets hard after. <laughs> I have to tell I you believe the title. It. Yeah, it's impressive. The title is the one that are killing me. <laughs> but so that that idea, like, that was the most recent example of, th of thinking about, well, not the most recent example, because I'll tell you about the next one. Um, but thinking about what is bravery, and, and I really thought I spent a lot of time thinking about it, because I think it was one of the things of the last few years and always i mean throughout history every moment of every day you have choices to make and you can choose to do the kind thing or you can choose to do nothing but there really is no such thing as doing nothing mm. not doing something is doing something yeah so you can choose to speak up when you see something wrong you can choose to be silent but if your silence has volume and people need to know that but every time you have an act of kindness i, I liken it to throwing a rock in a, a pond and you you make a splash 
and where the that splash will go out now and out and somewhere it will hit the shore and you don't know what impact that's going to have you don't know what as that travels out from you what the repercussions of your your kindness or your lack of kindness or your indifference or your hostility you know where that goes and what it does so those are the kind of things that i think about as i usually am sitting on my porch staring blankly into space <laughs> <laughs> well you get the nail on the head of, of of living an enriching life by acts of kindness and courage and bravery and by just that, not only, you know, we like to talk about on this show that living rich isn't just having cool gadgets and, and having oh, yeah. a cool house, but it's enriching the lives of others and, and giving back in, in other ways. So that I can't think of a better way to live rich than to throw those stones of empathy and caring and courage and bravery. Yeah, you know, and sometimes those can be big things. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm incredibly blessed and, you know, very lucky that my books have found an audience. I could, I've certainly books that, that, have five people who think we're the best books ever written and that will be it so i have this lovely platform but you know at the end of the day i don't know if that that's the thing that will go on and make the biggest difference or if it's just being kind to somebody you know like oh my gosh the other day i was at i don't know costco i guess or someplace and they have those, you know, they have the little deli thing where you can get the really obnoxiously large piece of pizza, which I'm oh, yeah. not opposed to having. <laughs> just standing in line, I, I talked to the woman. I said, how's your day going? Guys, I thought she was going to cry. It was like no one had ever <laughs> asked her that. And she just, it like, she stopped and went, well, it's, it's I'm having a good day. Thank you. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh. People, be nicer to this lady. Yeah. <laughs> Elements of oh, human just, connection, right? That are just yeah. overlooked in this day and age. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe that, maybe she'll go out and then pass that on or or somehow that will make a difference. We don't know. It makes that know. ripple. It makes so that you, ripple. You, you hinted very briefly there that uh, uh, you have a new idea for a new book. And I'd be curious for like before talking about that, like what is the genesis of that? Like what was going on in your life that caused you to think like, aha, this is this is a good one? So the next book um, is coming out in November and it's called Aaron Slater Illustrator. And actually this is a book that has been kind of brewing for a very long time. And it's born from the character that David drew. He's a little African-American kid uh, with the white t-shirt and the jeans and bright yellow socks. And it's just <laughs> this little tiny, tiny detail that David stuck into this book, um, into the into all these illustrations, like this kid who's just kind of just hanging out, but he always has flowers with him. He's always got, mm. like in, in Ada Twist, when they're looking at, uh, in the jars and they're doing an experiment, every kid has something <laughs> that they're trying to tell us smells of. This yeah. has a flower. And in Sofia Valdez, when they're marching around with their picket signs, his just has a flower. It doesn't have any words. And so I got a chance to spend a lot of time with David in England a couple years ago and learned a lot about him. He's a loveliest guy, but I learned really more about his childhood and David's dyslexic. So he struggled mightily in school as a kid, mightily. And um, so for him though, art was the way that he could let himself be free. And he could find ways to really excel through art and make his, you know, tell stories and all kinds of things. And I thought I wanted to take a look at 
at that, at the beauty of the power of beauty, the power of art. Um, and also innately in that, I think, is hope. So because when you look at something beautiful, we recognize that and it I think that's hope that, that comes out of that. If there can be this beauty in the world, then things can always get better. Um, and so this ends up being a story of a little boy who is dyslexic, um, and he wants to know how to read even from a tiny tot. He's raised in this wonderful family where they're all sort of musicians and they have a lot of flowers and uh, sort of an artsy fartsy family, I think, but just lovely family. And um, he really wants to learn to read, but he just struggles and he just can't get it. And he thinks, okay, well, when I get to school, then I'll figure it out. And he gets to mm. school there in kindergarten and boy, he shows up with his fancy red jacket with flowers all <laughs> over it, ready to go and his bright yellow socks. And it just doesn't work for him and it doesn't work and it doesn't work. And we see as he gets older and tries and tries that um, he just starts sort of fading away. And, and David just through his illustrations, and I've only seen the first sketches of it, but you just physically see through subtle things like his, jacket the flowers kind of start disappearing mm. from his jacket mm. so that by the time aaron gets through first grade and by the time he makes it to second grade he is kind of now like he's sort of given up he's, he's like well i'm just i'm not going to stand out so i'm just going to blend in mm. i'm just going to be one of the kids and i'm just going to try to hunker down and keep my head low and just get through um but then he gets to miss greer's class and um, you know, you can't, you can only kind of fake it through so far. And when she asked them to do some writing, then, you know, the crisis point arises, <laughs> but his art brings him through and, mm -hmm. and sort of reveals this, you know, not shocking that that would be the case since he is an illustrator and put it right there in the title. <laughs> yeah. 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 Big spoiler there. Big spoiler. So bad at keeping secrets. <laughs> I, I just love that 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 thoroughfare through all of your work is is the overcoming of adversity and and using those those themes and those skills that you, you in, incorporate into it. And like our a big concept of, of the show is is the concept of of fun, but as David has mentioned yeah. before, hard fun. The the fun of learning new skills and, and overcoming adversity and having that fulfillment. Like you mentioned, Ada is about curiosity. Rosie is about perseverance in there finding those fun skills day to day writing these books obviously there's got to be a challenge to it obviously it doesn't just you know I, maybe you do maybe you do just write it all out in one day and it's all oh, it's all there and you, there we you, go and the, the universe <laughs> is your muse but you know who knows but yeah, i am curious that's we a are good story and i'm sticking to that <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite part about the process though about you know the day in the life of your job what's your favorite part oh. about these challenges and all that's really hard. Um, and, and you, you guys probably experienced the same thing for me. I, boy, it really goes book by book, but I love that, that moment when you get a new idea and it's just rattling around in your head and it becomes sort of this obsession, like, and you're thinking about it all the time. And it's, it's a bit like falling in love. You know, you just sort of carry that with you mm -hmm. everywhere you go. And no matter what you should be doing, you're sitting there still thinking about it. I mean, right? It's like when you get an idea, David, for your, you know, a new aspect to your business or, or a new adventure, don't you just kind of go, ah? Oh, yeah. It's the best. I know I, that, that, I, I kind of uh, like 
you know, Rosie's approach towards it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, the design part's my favorite. And then the construction is also my favorite and the testing is the best. And I, and I agree, every part of it is great, but, uh, but the greatest of the great is at the start uh, when it's just an idea and you're just trying to like grapple with it. And I find that most of my time, like my, the most important programming I do is on paper. I sit in a, yeah. in a coffee shop or a, drinking a cup of tea with a pen and a blank piece of paper. And that's where the best work happens. And everything else just flows from there. And when you're in that zone, man, there's no, nothing better than that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, Monty, do you have things too? That's that kind of your... Yeah, I mean, I'm a musician and, and writing music, writing songs oh, when, sure. you know, you'll be, you know, there there's songs that you'll be working at tirelessly for a week and you'll be like, is this any good after I've stared at it for a week long? <laughs> and then there are riffs that you, somebody will play something and everyone will just go that yeah. do that again do that yeah. again and then you'll just yeah. and then 20 minutes later you have a full song done you know it's yeah. yeah that's the best yeah and i guess the i'm always curious and i don't know i mean i guess at the end of the race you get to look back and say is there a difference between those two things like are the books that came easily or the songs that came easily the projects are those the ones that are better or are they not better or are they just different than the yeah. ones that you had to literally like you know scrape scrape, scrape to get through them <laughs> i don't know uh, but it is that is the, the joy of being creative. It is so much fun. It's never lonely either. I mean, in one sense, you spend an enormous amount of time alone, but you're you know your head's crowded with people. I've got whole towns in there. So. <laughs> well, and plus, I think your job's got to be pretty cool. So, we'll talk about the space station. How did your book get? What what was that all about? Yeah, that groovy. Yeah. So there's this wonderful festival. I think it's still going in dc every year or every other year maybe every two years um and it's the u.s science and engineering festival when rosie was coming out i went to dc and i took like i mean literally fifty thousand stickers or something for rosie the book wasn't known it, it had brand spanking new and i just went around to pretty much every booth and said hey you know doing the, the i'm an author would you <laughs> yes, like hands. to learn about <laughs> yeah sparkle fingers the whole nine yards uh and just you know trod through the the place for the weekend and it was great fun i mean just the coolest of of everything stem everything tech everything sciency uh and i was walking along and i had a couple copies of the book with me and there was um a man am i not gonna blank my brain i'm not gonna remember his name now uh, there was an astronaut there who was because NASA had a big presence, mm -hmm. and oh shoot, I'm really going to be angry at myself for not remembering his name. But I I gave him a copy of the book just because I think my gosh, you know, if you dedicate your life to going out into space, given like the incredible dedication that has, I can't even imagine. Uh, and you do that, and the benefits that brings back to all of us people here. Not, most of us never even knowing the sacrifices you make. I think that's that's brilliant. And it's always, I, I'm a big believer in saying thank you when people do things like that. I don't always follow through, but in my mind, I've written a million thank you notes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to work on that. Um, but anyway, I gave him a, um, a copy of Rosie and then, you know, went on my way and he went on his way. And about six months later, I got an email that said, uh, this is, we're starting a program called Storytime from Space would uh would you mind if we would you mind if we send would you mind? <laughs> uh, rosie, yeah would you mind if we send rosie Refere to the international space station to be read by an astronaut and i'm like oh i'm busy that day i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I, 
why is there a question mark here? I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, please. Oh, and thank you. And so they did. And it's this wonderful program. It's um, a nonprofit pro program. They work with the International Space Station and the Center for Advancement of Science and Space. And the idea is just to sort of connect reading and STEM and space exploration. And um, so they send books up to the space station. They astronauts read them and they download the videos. And so Storytime from Space is the, the website. It's absolutely fabulous. And then Ada got to go up as well. And a different um, astronaut. Oh, wow. Read that. That's awesome. So oh I know. This becomes a thing. You've got to have them all. I mean, like, it'd be so yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it will be a subscription exactly. service, a subscription to space for your for your books. It'll just, you know, yeah. they'll swap them out like Netflix there. Okay, yeah. cool. You have, you have to renew it about however, how many hours yeah. does it take? 13? I forget what it is. <laughs> Very fast. Talk about a grassroots success, though. Literally going to it and stickering and, you know, oh. very punk rock of you going out there. And now it's in space. Oh, yeah, my that's amazing. goodness. I, I thought my feet get any would better? fall off. I, my feet have never hurt so much in my whole life. But what, I, what I love about that is it really talks about just how much hustle it takes to be a writer. Like, yes, you have to write, yeah. definitely. Um, but it's yeah. not just about that. It's like you, you have to, like anything in life, if it's uh, if it's interesting, uh, the 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 fun part uh, is the hard work, and then the the other like you know ninety percent of the effort is just all this grinding promotion and just and just the hustle to yeah. make it happen. And so I think that's a good reminder that uh, having an amazing book, having an amazing story, is just the start. That's like the table stakes. Everything yeah. else is actually just yeah. the hard work after it. That's right. That's right. And and it's one of those things. I mean, early on, I remember talking with my editor, and we were working on my first novel, and um, she said, boy, you're really easy to work with. And I'm like, well, I kind of think, thank you. But I kind of think also that the world is full of talented people. The world is full of great books and great manuscripts and deserving books. So at the end of the day, you know, as an editor, you have maybe three books in front of you and there's the, or two books in front of you. And there's the author who's a real pain in the patoot. And then there's the one who's like kind of pleasant, but the books are equally good. I know which one I'd spend my time with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good strategy right there. So yeah, I'd be and, curious, uh, yeah. uh, going along with that, um, tell me about Netflix and this, this show coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so much fun, guys. I'll tell you. Um, so yes, in the fall, I think September, I, they've not... I've not seen a release date yet, but I think somewhere in September, uh, there will be Ada Twist Scientist as a Netflix show. And um, that happened when a producer named Mark Burton from uh, Worldwide or Wonder Worldwide uh, came to us and said, you know, would I'd like to do a show and this is my, my idea on it. And we had a lot of people who were interested in doing, but he had just had the vision that I think fit the, um, that really, fit the world and he seemed to understand innately this sort of the view of the world from Blue River Creek and um, so we decided to go with him and uh, then they they synced up with Netflix and then the Higher Ground production from the Obamas have joined in and so it's like kind of groovy not gonna quite lie the team. quite the team super How? enjoying quite so, the team yeah yeah that's a powerhouse and so I imagine there's there must be some anxiety for like, how do you maintain a degree of creative control while still enabling others to get the best out of that? How do you kind of manage that tension? You know, that's, um, that's not been a big deal. I mean, they, I think everyone there 
uh, working on this project from the writers and the producers and the showrunners and everyone, everyone is really in love with this world and these, these kids and they want to make it right. They want to do it the right way. And so they'll bring, you know, their own ideas on how to go about it, but they've all really been accurate. They've been really good interpretations of the world. And there, you know, mm. there's some few tweaky changes and family okay. structure and things that they get that, you know, they need to, 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 to work for their audiences and things. And the audience is younger. It's sort of a preschool show. So that's a bit different than say their chapter books. Mm -hmm. um, but they've just, everyone has just come to it with this desire to do really good work. And I, I, I think it's been less difficult because it's not unlike the process of writing a picture book where I write the words and in my mind, I have this, ooh, this fantastic view of exactly how it's going to be. And then it goes out into the world and they find an illustrator who makes something that is nothing like that. And always my instant reaction is, no, that's wrong. And that lasts about three seconds. And then I go, oh, you know what? That's exactly right. And it's perfect. <laughs> and then it grows on from there. And, and um, I mean, I finally now with David and I, we've worked together a long time and I can kind of, I never imagine exactly what he's going to do, but I just know he's going to do something amazing. Mm -hmm. So there's no stress with that. But I, I decided a long time ago, I mean, early on, I can write books all day and I can keep them in my desk drawer and enjoy them and take them out and pet them. And I do I have a lot of them in there. I feed them regularly. I love them and I adore them, but that doesn't mean they're ever going to actually go out and be published and see the light of day. So if you want to be a published author, there's, you send it out and it's a bit like sending your kid off to college and you don't know if they're coming back with tongue studs, Oxfords or both, or what's going to happen. And it's all great. <laughs> they do, they come back and they're different. But if you've entrusted people who are talented and then you trust those talented people, uh, it, it, they always just make the books better. And I, I've just really always had great, have a great publisher and everybody there. I'll go, I'll go visit them in New York and everybody knows the books and loves and cares about them. No matter how tangentially they may touch those, those stories, they really, they care. And that's, that's kind of all you can hope for, you know, trust talented people and, and they'll surprise you and bring in ideas that you never thought of. And mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of how things grow. I'm sure that's probably, maybe that's your experience as well with, I was just going to say that that's a very interesting parallel between kind of how we hire at Expensify, the kind of people we hire and, and, our, and our, our, our criteria for hiring, you know, humble, driven, ambitious people. Uh, David can speak to this a, a lot more than I can, but it's definitely a fantastic workforce to work with other people that are creative and trusting other people to come up with these yeah. ideas. We hire people who are uh, all across the, the the diverse spectrum of different ideas and backgrounds. You know, heck, I, I used to tour playing heavy metal, and now I talk about expense reports and, and <laughs> living rich, having fun, and saving the that world. That makes sense. Again, yeah, that's, talking that's, about that that parallel little detour we take in the buffet of life, and here yeah. we are. So trusting creative people, I mean, that's that, that just says it all right there. Yeah, I really yeah, love it, it, how you put that. And I think that you're right. This idea of uh, you can have total, perfect control of your ideas uh, and they stay in your shelf and no one ever sees yeah. them and they never see the light of day. And so I think there is about a degree of recognizing that the idea is its own thing and it's, you can influence it, you can launch it, but you have to create an environment for it yeah. to survive and, and flourish. And that environment consists of a whole bunch of other people who aren't you 
that will bring their own influences. And what ends up is so much oh, better. Like I've, I think of Expensify kind of like um, a garden where it's like this very like rich and ver verdant garden. And uh, everyone is always planting and curating. And sometimes we trim, sometimes we plant. And every day something new blooms. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't know that. I didn't even know we planted that flower. That's an amazing flower. Yeah. And, and so every day is always miraculous because there's so much going on and no one is in control. It's basically this beautiful chaos. And I think so long that as everyone there has the right intentions and, and as, I think as, uh, as Monty mentioned, we, we hire for uh, uh, talent, ambition, and humility. And if you get those three things, um, the combination of those two makes a person, which is just an incredibly powerful and fantastic person to be with. And if you get enough of those people together, you create an amazing group. And so I think this idea of letting yeah. ideas flourish on their own in the right environment, surrounded and supported by the right people, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I, that's fascinating the, to mention humility in that, because that would seem to me like the absolutely most important bit, because otherwise you end up with uh, a lot of people who are very talented, but also so many egos that can't absolutely. play together very well. And then, you know, okay, so we're all going to you know, battle each other yeah. instead of coming together and being generous and thinking of what else we can do. And I kind of think yeah. of it like, you know, you've played like Angry Birds or one of these games where you're, you're shooting sure. stuff over. And I think it's like the three components of that are it's like, first there's uh, there's talent. And that's kind of the angle of what you're going to launch. Um, and then there's ambition, which is how hard you pull back basically. But the most uh -huh. important thing that determines how far you go is humility, which is kind of like gravity. And uh, basically the, the, the more humble you are, the less gravity there is. There's less just pushing, just pulling everything down. And if you have a yeah. group that basically is just committed to, everyone's going to pull back really hard and aim really high, and we're all going to support each other so things will just come crashing to the yeah. ground, you can get great places. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I like that. That's the, the angry bird model. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yeah, the, the angry bird model right. management, you know. <laughs> the no, it's true. I I use a phrase sometimes where I, I just, like whenever we're trying to figure things out, how does this work? How does a deal work out or whatever? My guiding principle is I try to say everyone has to come out whole because hmm. if everyone's putting their hearts into it and their time and their effort and their vision and their, their life resources, which none of which are limitless, um, you know, they needs to be in something in it for them as well. And, and it's only just comes back in heaps and bounds for the whole project and for everything when that happens. Um, so, so I think that's the great fun of, of making the books together because it is a collaborative thing. I don't illustrate my own books and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it's good. To know, it's good to know your own limits. <laughs> <laughs> I have my own limits. There you go. There's Although that humility. I yeah. Everyone, yeah. I do think everyone has an artistic talent. They just haven't maybe found the right medium yet. Hmm. So That's for me, it's words and it's not so much drawing, although I do like drawing, but you know, I don't have that I love skills. That. Yeah. yeah well, you find your lane. Expense reports, you know, the most artistic of all mediums. <laughs> no, but I will tell you what, that does change the world because the amount of time you can save people. Holy cow. I just, she gets I, it, David. She gets it. Yeah, yeah. We have a believer. Perfect. <laughs> oh man. I do not miss the days of having to do that sort of thing. And I remember <laughs> like, Oh, so no, you've got it. Yeah. Your, your angry bird thing is working out for the, for the people yeah. who have to deal 
expense reports. I've definitely been on calls uh, uh, getting getting companies onboarded with us and, uh, you know, where accountants are on the verge of tears. They're so happy they don't have to work in Excel sheets. So that makes it all worth it at the end of the day. <laughs> I know. I, I use Excel just often enough to vaguely remember it. And enough to get in there and go, I don't remember it at all. And then, oh, shh. But, but, but I love that. Speaking to just the, the, the universal appeal of your books, I mean, you said the, the ultimate punk rock grassroots movement of going to D.C. <laughs> and, and spreading the message. And now and you have a, a show with the production company for, of the Obamas. You have yeah. your books being read in, in, in space. space. In <laughs> space. Uh, in space. No know. one can hear you turn pages. Yes, they can. <laughs> they can hear you. They have microphones up so there. I, I'm, I'm, curious, I'm curious why you think the subject matter uh, of all of your books resonates so well with, with kids. Obviously, the, the themes we talked about earlier are, of course, universal. And I love that you bring that into, you know, STEM fields and different fields of creativity and different fields of, of learning. Traditionally, you know, it's not really been a, a riveting, you know, demographic for under 10 year olds to get into engineering or get into science. And I think you've, you know, you've guised, you've guised it with those themes that are universal to, to kids. Do you think that's why it's caught on so much? I'm curious your opinion on on why your success is so universal. No, absolutely. And and it's because at a very fundamental level, like thinking about Ada Twist, mm -hmm. every kid is curious. I mean, every kid is curious. So when they see Ada, who is just obsessed with questions, she's consumed with finding out why, how, not when, where, they are like that. I mean, any four-year-old in the course of a day, they'll ask you a thousand questions. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, so kids can look at her and say, I'm curious. She's a scientist. Maybe I'm a scientist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with Rosie, every kid has had frustrations. They have tried to make something. It has not worked and they don't know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. So they go, oh, I'm frustrated and, and I don't know what to do. That Rosie was like that too. Maybe I'm an engineer. Um, and every kid has passions for something, whatever it is. They, they will go out and they are so consumed with creating something or something that just catches there and it changes maybe every, you know, day or two days or weeks or, yeah. you know, five minutes, but they're, it's 100% when they're in there, they're, they're like thinking about, I'm going to build things. So every kid has passion. So to them, they, they see Iggy as themselves. And I, I think it's fascinating. And this is a very small distinction, but something that I'm extremely proud of and something that I think tells me that that works is that and I, I didn't set out to do that, by the way. I didn't set out to say, I'm going to write a book about engineering. It just sort of happened to be like Rosie could have been doing something else. But mm -hmm. but actually, I did make her an engineer because I wanted to see what David would do with the art after he did <laughs> Iggy. I thought he's going to slay this. And yeah. he did. Um, but the fascinating thing is that when kids read these books and they come back out and they don't say, I'm going to be a scientist, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be an architect, they say, I am a scientist. Hmm. I am an engineer. I am. An well, that's interesting. It's not this future, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? No. It's basically like, look at, look at Rosie. She's an engineer right now. So yeah. am I. I love I'm an engineer. that. I, I'm curious. I'm a scientist. And that is actually yeah. true. One of the things I try to convey to parents, parents, like, we somehow manage to have so many adults that are so scared of science, so scared of math, so scared of engineering. And things that they may not have technically and, and purposely studied, or maybe that were so far in their rearview mirror now that they've kind of forgotten about them. 
but is the idea that everybody is a scientist. And so for especially parents of little kids, if you have a kid, when your kid comes to you, as they will do and say, why is the blue sky blue? And the parent does not remember that day in seventh grade science. And boy, it's like, nah, oh, here, honey, someone's at the door. I got to Flintstone it out of here. Uh, I mixed my metaphors there. But but the idea that they're, they get so freaked out about it when the answer is so easy, it's just, I don't know, let's find out. Mm. Why is this? I don't know, let's find out. Uh, and then you have kids who become the leaders they are they are taking their adults into the world of exploration and looking for answers or maybe just more questions which is even more exciting uh and that's that's what science is so i i hope that through these books then that parents can kind of loosen up a little bit and that that's actually one of the things that has been fun about the project books we do um where I look at the topics, so science, or the most recent one, which is Sophia's book of, what is it? Oh, the big project book for awesome activists is the new one. It comes out this week. This yeah. Week. Wow. I should say that with less of a question mark. It comes out this week. <laughs> Next yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. The, the May 4th. May 4th. <laughs> um, but the idea there is kind of the same. It's like that. what things do kids already, how do they think about things? Um, and in the project book for for activists, it's about just civics. How does how does a city run? How does my town run? How does my family run? Like who who makes the rules? How does that happen? What you know? How thinking about things in terms that the kids their lives and how they live, and then mapping that to bigger bigger topics. Mm -hmm. uh, and for like science, science is about curiosity. It's about getting frustrated. It's about sticking to things. It's about um, I don't know, just learning stuff. So tackling big topics but in terms of very personal traits that kids have you know kids um science or scientists are creative so yeah. create a picture make a yeah. picture out of these things well kids can do that and they're like oh well maybe i am a scientist and it's just the different <laughs> aspects of whatever the, the job is whatever the the field is rather uh and and sort of mapping it to that's kind of just flipping backwards from what people usually do they say you're yeah. a scientist therefore well do sciencey things whatever <laughs> well that, that that ties perfectly the the so sophia valdez big project book for awesome activists is such a novel and, and fantastic uh book idea that, that you're Ooh. coming out with and it really ties into you know the third theme of the show save the world and saving the world sounds like this lofty giant goal just like becoming a scientist sounds like this yeah. lofty giant goal but it's just those kernels of individual acts of whether it be bravery courage, kindness, empathy, and in this case, activism and understanding how your world works and teaching yes. those children, the next generation on how they can get that start early on, you know, but before they take civics in high school, or if they even still teach civics in high school, boy, I, I feel old saying that just now, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, who knows, but you know, I, and, and that's what we love uh, about, about your work so much. Thank you. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing. Why is that left to high school? Mm -hmm. Every kid, and there is social studies, I assume still, you know, I mean, uh, but I think we have somehow as a society and, you know, I don't know how global this is, but may, I think it probably varies from where you are. But mm -hmm. um, I think we have sort of gotten into this era where we expect other people to do the things. Mm -hmm. We expect yeah. other people to take care of running our town. And yeah, we may vote for it, but we, we need to know how things work. We need to know how our city is structured and how our towns and our 
our states and and what pays for things like so it, so in this book you know we I look things starting sort of the idea is sort of starting with a person and then what is your community your community starts with your family then it's your neighbors and then it's your school then it's your town maybe it's your neighborhood then your town your city your state your country your planet and as a person just like in that pond you know you're at the center of this but what you do goes out and affects you know wider and wider and you have agency to make change even if you are a kid kids i want them to know that they have power and that was you know i kind of long long way back to why i wrote sophia at all but it was back in that time when so many kids were being scared that i wanted them to know that they had agency they had power that they um there are things in the worlds they can control and and that there are also always people to help them yeah there are helpers out there um and i think that's a big thing one thing I find kind of interesting, so I have a six-year-old daughter, and it's been interesting looking at how popular media has changed from when I was a kid. And I, there's this book I really love, uh, I rave about it all the time, called, I'm going to get the name wrong, I think it's Everything Bad is Good for You. And it's basically talking about how there's this, it starts off with a series of quotes uh, from like Aristotle, like, you know, Descartes, and like major like thinkers throughout time. And basically every one of these quotes is... Uh, uh, the world's going to hell and kids are to blame. Um, and so like the one thing that everyone can agree on throughout all of time is that basically the world, things are getting worse. But in fact, like according to the broad strokes of time, it's like actually by every measure, uh, humanity is getting better now. Climate yeah. is a little bit different. It's not humanity. So there's like, you know, we can interpret this data like all other data to tell the story you want. But basically it's like on the broad strokes of things, like humanity is is like getting its act together. And I think that, um, yeah. and, and one reason the sort of the thesis of the book is that uh, popular media, even though it's continuously demonized, and it talks in the book, it's like how when books first came out, it was like, oh, no one's going to remember anything. And then like the printing press came out, it's like, oh, now like you know, all, now everyone gets books. Uh, everyone knows only smart people get books. Now everyone's got them. Yeah. And then the radio comes out, it's like, oh, no one's going to read anymore. Uh, then the TV comes out, no one's going to listen to the radio anymore. And the internet, no one's going to, whatever it is. And um, and so everyone. And now we're back to podcasts. And now yes, we're back to podcasts. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that um, it's interesting how popular media uh, is always to blame, uh, but at the same time, it gets so sophisticated. And like when I'm watching cartoons with Hazel or whatever it is, I'm, I'm amazed how basically every cartoon is awesome anymore. Like um, I was watching like Barbie Dreamhouse or something like this, which seems like the most vapid possible cartoon. And it's amazing. I like how their 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 presentation of Barbie is incredible. Yeah, like Barbie's presented as like a savant, and I like I love the episode of her birthday, and all of her friends are like, "How how old is Barbie?" I, like, well, I don't know. Well, she was president, and you have to be forty for that. Then she was an astronaut. That takes about twenty three years of training. Yeah. She's also a surgeon, and like basically, she spends the entire time. Like every episode comes down to like Barbie being some genius and saving the day. And I'm like, how yeah. do they spin Barbie? to be this very positive message. It's wild. And like, I could go on about My Little Pony, I could go on about Spirit, I could go on a million different cartoons and everything is very, uh, is telling very positive messages about diversity and inclusion and about you know uh, courage and bravery and, and fortitude and all of this. And so I think when I read your books, I see so much of that. It's like, yes, they're, they're fantastic stories, they rhyme. There's so much about it that that is so fun for you know me to read and for Hazel to read. But also it's like, we don't have to, and it kind of goes back to this idea. I think there's like living rich, having fun, saving the world. These are not 
contradictory ideas. It's not like a zero-sum game where you have to choose one or the other. I think the best and most successful things are when you're doing all three together. And I think your books really represent that. It's like, yeah, yeah these are books about people who are living rich and diverse and interesting lifestyles. They're having fun, exciting adventures. But the consequence of it all is like they're making the world a better place. And that's the story that I think so many people need to hear. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. I I think that the Barbie show is quite a sleeper, though, because I would I had low expectations. I brought my own <laughs> bias into that. I'm not gonna lie, I did. Um, but that was a surpriser. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know. It kids are amazing and deserve they deserve honesty, I think, at the end of the day. And that's, that's the thing to me, what makes a good TV show, a good book or whatever, is that mm. there has to be truth in it. And so those, those great shows are the ones or, or books is where you have truth. And I think that is where my books have worked with the, the things I was discussing about how do you, um, you know, looking at curiosity, there's truth in that. Because if you look at it and then, you know, and you really examine it honestly, that's what connects to kids. They kids are like the best BS detectors in the world. <laughs> Nothing gets past them, right? They a they deserve honesty and they demand it, and they smell it a million miles away if you're coming at them with something that's not real and true. Mm-hmm. And I think kids can take and understand a lot more than we give them credit for. So that you know, sometimes you have to write something, and, and it may not be all pretty and happy, but. Mm-hmm it's real and they respect that so that they understand things. I, yeah, kids are the best. (laughs) Kids are the best. best. And speaking that truth to power and speaking to that wellspring of curiosity that all kids are, uh, your, your books not only go there, but they go the step beyond and, and really teaching kids the concept of, of how failure can, can teach you to move forward and you can learn from it. Whereas, yeah. Curiosity obviously is an infinite uh, resource when it comes to children, but failure, if perceived the wrong way, can stunt that curiosity. And we find that, I mean, that's probably been the case for millions of people oh, yeah. who maybe would have gone into that direction of STEM or in any of these different fields, but that failure kind of, they didn't have that push, that understanding that, no, this is a good thing and you can learn from that. That empowers them. I love that about your books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I think we do. We all have a very, and each person's different, obviously, but we, we do have this sense of expectations and what, what being good at something is. Well, that back to the thing of going to NASA and, and I got to go see the launch when they took Rosie. <laughs> so, to cool. Wow. so cool. So cool. This was the cool thing though. So I went the first day and, and they were going to launch it and they get down to the timing, you know, 10, 9, 8, oh, and they called it off because of these <laughs> massive, like, thunder boomers up and there was some something that was too much danger for lightning so like rats scientists and people they're just like ah yeah okay we'll come back tomorrow I'm like, oh, this is tragic you know so go back the next day no it's they, just weather the, yeah they get down to the next day and they get down to the countdown and they call it off for wind and then the third day i think it got called off for wind so i finally had to fly back to chicago hadn't seen the thing go up oh, no. i'm like rats this is call just me sad. when the rocket goes up <laughs> Call me when it happens. Well, this is the most beautiful thing, though. I'm on the airplane heading back to Chicago, and I'm watching, like, on my clock the time, and I have no, like, Southwest Wi-Fi. Come on, Southwest. Get your Wi-Fi together. (laughs) I was trying to watch the count at, like, 10. 
<laughs> two hours later, nine. I'm like, you're not doing it right. But I looked out the window at, at the time and I could see the vapor trail going up into the, oh, into space. Amazing. And I was like, you know so what? Cool. That failure after day after day after day. And for me, it was like there was so much excitement and tension. And like, and I hadn't even spent my life's work making the thing that was doing this, you know, sending these incredibly intricate rockets and things. Uh, but all these people had, and they were just like, yeah, okay, well, that just didn't happen. That was a failure. No, it was just the thing that happened next. Yeah. I and mean, boy, no, that was a learning experience. Success. And I thought that just, was the most. Yeah. Success is just built on the platform of endless failure. And yeah. it's like, I think that uh, that rocket it launch is. was the culmination of a tremendous number of failures to get there. And I think that uh, Rosie was. would be very proud to be in that rocket. And I think that was just sort of the most rosy way to, to witness this event was sort of like, mm -hmm. yeah, it didn't go like the thought, but it happened and it was just amazing. But, but that was, and I think just transforming the idea of a failure is just the next thing yeah. that it's not a big mm -hmm. deal. And that, that to me, I, when I do see, I do get letters from parents who, uh, you know, will read Rosie to, to kids, little tiny kids who've had a lot of issues with just, you know, failing and just losing it, just melting down because kids, you know, they want to please. And so they have this sense of sometimes that's internally driven, sometimes it's external, but they want to be, you know, help and make it do right and make it perfect. And then it doesn't, they don't know how to plan that. And then they'll read Rosie and they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, it failed. We'll do it again. What yeah. would Rosie do? It's like, congratulations. It's okay. think, that was a fantastic oh. failure. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fabulous. And, and David fabulous can speak spot. to that, too. I mean, David, you started coding at a, at a really young age and started this direction. And obviously, Expensify wasn't your first job. You didn't start this company when you were 18. Sure. You yeah. know, there's been a whole a, a long story behind that. How did you yeah, get I into like, coding? What, what, what did you do? Uh, so I started programming when I was six. Uh, and then uh, oh, wow. my dad traded a trailer hitch for a VIC-20. Um, and, uh, and I liked computer games. And so I started doing that. They would take me to the mall and, uh, they would go shopping and just like dump me into a radio shack, which had the Tandy computers. And so I'd stay there for like an hour or whatever. And then they'd I come back. Radio with, shack. Yeah, I know. They'd come back and I would have like this program with like a little bat flying around the screen. And I'm like, look what I did. They're like, cool. You just killed an hour's time while I went shopping. It was awesome. And so, um, but when I was doing it, like. <laughs> computers weren't the cool thing it was like what is this weird novelty like no one right. realized that computers were going to take over the world at the time there was just yeah. this thing that some weird people did and like i didn't know anyone who programmed didn't have friends who programmed and so it was until I, high school actually i didn't actually know um really any like am i, am I any good like i have no idea until i went to a, a computer class and that's when i learned an amazing lesson uh, at, at college uh, that you don't have to go to the classes in college. You can skip the classes and not get in trouble. And it was amazing. Uh, so I just took the tests and I'm like, oh, actually, I know a thing or two about this. But so I think as a, as a kid, there's such a, uh, a beauty in the uh, ignorance of what's possible and what's not. And I think that yeah. uh, for me, it was just like computers weren't a high, they weren't seen as like a, a amazing thing, an important skill. They also weren't scary. There was just like, oh, it was just this fun toy. And I feel like the idea, yeah. that's why I love the, the spirit of the books that you have. It's like, sure, she's an engineer, but she's building a, a machine to keep snakes away or a helicopter powered by cheese or whatever it is. And so as a result, it's yeah. all, it's so uplifting mm -hmm. and so fun. It just makes, it brings the fun out of creation for its own sake. And that's what I love. Thank you. Yeah, it's true. And can we talk about cheese spray? Because I just think <laughs> there's more power there than people have really recognized. <laughs> it's an untapped potential. 
Uh, Elon <laughs> Musk. Give him a cheese frame, dude. <laughs> Give up on the sun. Cheese frame. <laughs> Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us here today on the show. Uh, The new book, Sophia Valdez, big project book for awesome activists is out now. Uh, Also look on your local Netflix station or wherever you watch Netflix for Ada Twist Scientist, hopefully coming in the fall. I just went with the old school approach there. Uh, (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to to reading more of your work in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you both. And thanks for this, this podcast. I mean, what a, what a great idea just to look at. I, I like the idea of exploring just the everyday view of what is success and what is, um, what is creativity? What is, what is important and how do you change the world? Because, you know, people have these weird ideas, weird ideas, but they, weird they ideas make the world there. go around. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World is brought to you by Expensify. Hosted by David Barrett and Monty Bernard. Engineered and produced by Monty Bernard. Theme song by DJ Mick. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to be listening.